0: This is the Sermon Podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Uh, Well, if you've been uh, with us this summer, uh, you'll know that we have been walking through just selected uh, various psalms uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, Psalms are... Just this great uh, treasure chest of, of really beauty in God's Bible. Uh, so if you've brought a Bible with you, you're welcome to uh, open that, um, slide that on. Uh, we're going to be looking, we're actually going to be looking at two Psalms this morning. Psalms 42 and 43. Uh, we uh, actually, most commentators believe that these were originally one psalm. It's like it's like one poem and two songs. Uh, the the best way I could think of it is uh, to relate it to Hamilton. Uh, we're like obsessed with Hamilton in the house right now. It just got on Disney Plus, and so like the family, we know all the songs, myself included. We're just like obsessed with this. If you don't know what Hamilton is. I don't even know you uh, like it's it's a it's a musical production from from Broadway that's been brought to Disney Plus anyway. And in and, and a lot of the songs, what they'll do is they'll use common refrains from a prior song in another song. Um, and that's what happens in Psalm 42 and 43 uh there's this refrain why are you uh, cast down o oh my soul uh that is the it's the thematic refrain of both the psalms and also psalm 33 43 does not have a title and so that those indicators those clues kind of tell us this was probably originally one one song uh made made into two so i'm going to read the whole thing here in a minute uh before i do that let me let me just kind of prepare us for the for the hearing of, of God's word. Uh, our, our staff uh, f- for the church uh, we've been dispersed, working remotely now. Uh, I guess since March, since all this started, we we all have various aspects in in the life of the church that allow us to pretty much work from a distance, and we recently uh, have been uh, encouraged by uh, a class that actually Rick Smith, one of our elders and, and our staff, has been leading us through. It's called uh, Emotionally Healthy Relationships uh, by a guy named Pete Scazzaro. Uh, if you haven't stumbled across any of his books, highly recommended, but uh, Rick's been leading us through this course, and this past week, uh, we went through the, the section of the course that is called Explore the Iceberg. And the essence of the lesson is that, that, that our lives, in many ways, are like a big iceberg. And, and if you know about icebergs, you'll, you'll know, you've seen them on posters or in reference to the Titanic, that, that only 10% uh, are kind of above water, right? And then 90% of an iceberg is below the surface, and so the, the essence of this, this lesson in this course is that 10% of our lives is, is kind of above the surface. It's our circumstances, it's, it's kind of what we know and see and kind of our outside world. But 90% of who we are is under the surface. It's our inner life. It's our, it's our emotional life. And uh, this week, uh, the, part of the course is these daily devotions. There's this... Um, Uh, one of the one of the days uh, of the devotion use this language um, of talking about our emotions that we would name claim tame and aim our emotions now that's catchy that'll preach sermons that'll you can preach the socks out of that but name claim tame and aim using our emotions um in a way uh, that appropriately communicate, God communicates to us through our emotions when we do that. Now, I know that sounds like heresy to some of you, like emotions. What are you talking about? Like, the Bible says our hearts are desperately wicked and evil above all things. Like, what, where, where are you getting this idea from? Well, God made us entirely and wholly human, and part of being a human is our emotional life. And one of the reasons that that I've chosen for us to preach through Psalms is for you to consider the invitation to explore what's going on under the surface of your life. What is the 90% of the iceberg that you are feeling right now? And you probably, if you're you're like me, um, having a hard time naming it, claiming it to be reality, taming it, and then aiming it for a purpose in your life. Psalms 42 and 43 are an invitation for you to explore one possible avenue of emotion that you are feeling in your life right now. It's a heavy emotion. It's, it's what the psalmist calls a cast-down heart. So follow along with me, if you will, as I read. I'm going to read both of the Psalms 42 and 43 for us this morning. To the choirmaster, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. My salvation and my God. Let's pray together. God in heaven, it's it's my deepest desire uh, that all of the meditations of our hearts that are gathered here today, both in this park and listening online, and, and that the words of this one man's mouth, that those would all be pleasing to you in your sight, Lord. You are our rock, you are our redeemer. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Here, you know, we've been kind of brief in this series, just trying to kind of be very concise with what the Psalms are teaching. Here is what uh, these Psalms uh, want you to pay attention to. This is, this is what they're after. Uh, they want you to feel uh, that the fundamental longing of your entire existence is to be in the loving presence of the living God. I'll say that again, it's a lot of of words there. But the fundamental longing, the the core of who you are, the thing that, that, that you were made for, the insides of you, the core of your being was made for this, to be in the loving presence of the living God. That's what this psalm's inviting you to, is not only to have an awareness of the longing inside of you, but also to know where that longing can be quenched where your desire can be satisfied. So this morning we're just going to look at two, kinda, two parts. I've just kind of divided this up. I want us to explore what the downcast soul looks like, and I want us to explore what the delighting soul looks like. So let's, let's kind of try to get our hands around the downcast soul. Uh, here's how I best broke it up. There are, there's basically uh, three parts of, and I'm looking at both of these psalms as one, so I'll stop referring to that. There's, we're just going to call this the psalm. Uh, there are three parts of this psalm, okay, and they're all broken up by that refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And so the, the three parts of this psalm can be summarized by the question that the psalmist asks. If you look again, verse 2. When will, I, uh, w- when will I come and appear before God? Uh, a very, your footnote might even give you kind of a better wooden literal translation of this. That, that, that question is, when will I see God's face? So the essence of the longing, the downcast soul, is God, I don't see you anymore. I don't feel you, and I don't feel like you're enough. So that, that's kind of part one of the downcast soul. The part two of it, verses six through 10, is in the question, why have you forgotten me? Verse nine, God's no longer near. His absence is st- the, the stark reality of your existence. So what we're talking about here is not somebody who's just kind of in a funk. We're not talking about somebody who's like had a, just like a bad day like coffee machine broke, or you got a flat tire, right? Or you have, you have heartburn. Like we're not, we're not talking about like things that like kind of disrupt our life. We're, these are big ticket items. God feels like he's not enough. God feels like he's entirely absent from the situation. And then the third refrain in the question, verse two of, of the 43, is why have you rejected me? God no longer feels loving. It no longer feels like God has... Accepted me. I don't feel his warm embrace anymore. It, it, it's, it's as though uh, the, the former ways of knowing God are non-existent. He's, he's not present. He's not near. He doesn't feel loving to me. The psalmist is expressing what the downcast soul feels. And where it comes from. Now, um. In, in kind of modern language, uh, we, we would probably cast this in the categories of depression and sadness and melancholy. And, and we're not like, I don't think you, you need to medically diagnose as depressed to resonate with the psalm. Um, this psalm, I mean, it syncs with where we are at. Does God feel like his presence is actively involved in your situation right now, or does he largely feel absent? Does he feel loving to you right now, or does it feel like he's smiting you? Because the temptation of the believer is to survey everything that's going on around us, the 10% of our existence, and to come to those conclusions. But what the psalmist refuses to do is to ignore the other 90%. So what's going on inside of your iceberg is the way God will speak to you. And I mean that in a very real way. That I believe that if you will be honest about what's going on inside of you, God will communicate clearly to you what he wants from you. And there, there is uh, no shortage of circumstances right now that are grabbing our attention. I, I, I'm not even going to waste pulpit time explaining them to you. You know everything that's going on around you. And most of us, our attention is on that and not on what's going on inside of us in the midst of that. So I, I want to convince you, I want to spend the bulk of the time talking about what the, the, the lighting soul does. So if that's the downcast soul, and if you have any connection to that right now, even a, a vague resemblance of, man, things are not right, this is sad. The, the, the world around me is crumbling. My heart's crumbling. I'm confused. I don't know who to believe what to believe. Like if, if there's any semblance of connection in your life to that, here's, here's what you need to actually uh, really bank on, and it's the refrain. Let me read the refrain again. I'll just read verse. It's verse uh, 5 and verse 11 and verse 5 again in the, in the second psalm. Uh, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? You know what he's doing? He's talking to his soul. Uh, There's a great book. uh, It's called Spiritual Depression by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a well-known 20th century theologian, pastor, preacher, author, uh, spiritual depression. And he he writes exhaustively on what the psalmist is going through. And, And in fact, in chapter one of that book, he expounds on Psalm 42. And he makes this distinction between talking to your soul and listening to yourself. Huge difference. Uh, so many of us are well-versed in listening to ourselves, right? We, we get in our heads, right? Like we're just talking, you know, what's going on? Why would this happen? If God, if, God, if God really loved me, would this really happen? And how could this be? And how will he work this out? And what are the, what, what's going on here? And like we just, we just talk to ourselves and we're just constantly talking to ourselves. Well, the psalmist is doing something entirely different. He's talking to his soul. Uh, do, do you remember, or if you saw in the headline the, the, the title of the psalm, this was a, a mascal, which is a music piece, of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were from the tribe of Levi. And the Levites, their, their particular uh, assignment in the temple was to be gatekeepers and musicians. I mean, what a, what a job. They're, they're like bouncers and rock stars. I, I don't know. Like, they, they, they kept the, the gate safe. They were temple guarders, and they were the musicians, and so what the, what the psalmist begins to do is, is he reflects on when things were good. I remember when I used to lead the throng out. I used to do all these great things. Like my life with God was, it was so splashy and I felt great and things were going good and my job was going well and church was awesome and I was volunteering and our church was growing and all these things were going on, right? Like things were really good. He says, I remember all that and it is not like that anymore. Does that sound like anything we're going through? So, the, the, this, this son of Korah, we don't know who it was, what he does is he begins talking to his soul. And he begins reminding him of where his hope is anchored. He says, Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why is there so much turmoil within you? And then here's his answer hope in God. Now, let me, you know, if, if you're new to the Bible and Christianity, let me just tell you this. Um, The Bible is never cliche with your realities. That is not just some band-aid that just says, hey, listen, just trust that God, it's just gonna it's gonna be all right. Don't worry about things. Just hope in God, like kind of wishful thinking, right? Like just kind of paint over it with just bright colors and everything's gonna be great. That's not what the the Bible never does that. The Bible is always entirely and wholly honest and realistic about it. And so hope in the Bible. Is, is absolute certainty. It is not wishful thinking. It is an anchored, rooted, trusted thing, and he says, do what? Hope in God. So the antidote to the despairing, cast-down soul is hope. How do you have hope? I, I mean, how do you have hope in a situation like this? Well, the psalm goes on. He says, I will again praise him. In other words, his hope is that praising God uh, will be the end game of his life. and, and praising God again is not just kind of waving a little a banner that like, hey, God is good and he's going to work this out together for my good. Like we, we quote all the Bible passage and kind of make it no. The Bible is entirely rooted in in the good news of the gospel, which I'm going to get to, but but the, the response of praise is like this. this is the best thing I could come up with this week. So um, it, it would be as though I were to go to your house. And, and, and I had a, a set of keys and a title to a car. And, and the car was a Porsche. Now, I'm, I'm not one of those preachers. I don't have assets like that. But, um, but let's just, just imagine with me, just momentarily. I've got keys and a title to a Porsche, and I go to your house, and I just meet your dreams, right? You've, you've always wanted a Porsche. You could never afford a Porsche. And here, Pastor Adam's giving you a brand-new Porsche you know, free and clear. It's all yours. Go take it. Now, how would, how would you respond to me in that? Would it just be like, hey, thanks. Thanks, Adam. We'll see you on Sunday. You know, like, hey, you know, like, I'll, uh, I'll probably email a couple of my friends let them know, you know, about, about your, your church or something. or Like, no, you'd be like, whoa, this is crazy. This guy just did all these things for me. He's, he's done it free and clear. There's, there's nothing I can do to pay him back. He made that clear. He's given me everything. Like the, the resounding prayer, and, and I, get, I get the analogy. It breaks down. Like I don't want you to worship me. But the analogy is everything that would be welling up inside of you would be to give your life away for this one. Right? Your praise would be like wholehearted trust. You would say, I'll do anything for this. Um, The key, I think, at least for me, as I was looking at this passage to understanding how a downcast soul really eventually or ultimately becomes delighting is in the end of verse 5, the beginning of verse 6. And he just says, my salvation and my God. Again, the footnotes, the thing that gives us kind of the depth behind the Hebrew. The footnote says, the salvation of my face. Uh, do you remember at the beginning of the psalm, he said, when will I see God's face, verse two? And now he, here he says, God will save my face. Our face and God's face are the things that are, it's the billboard for our, for our delight. Um, the Bible is very clear that the good news of the gospel is that you get God. You get God's face. I, I like, love it when my little baby toddler girl just grabs my face, my cheeks, just to gaze with me. Like that's the picture that the Bible gives us of what God does to us. That God will gaze into your face with a fierce and tenacious love that delights in you. And, and, and I really believe that this is the essence of the Christian life, is to believe that. Like to believe that God would look at you in your face and delight in you, like my baby girl delights in me, and I in her. That is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Listen to the way the New Testament talks about what will happen when that happens ultimately and fully. 1 John chapter 3 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Toddler grabbing the face, we are children of God, and the reason why the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, if you're a believer, listen to this. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. The downcast soul that looks into the face of a God who is delighting in them can be turned. And the good news of Christianity is that you don't have to muster up the delight in and of yourself. That God's love and affection for you stirs that up. And the thing that will turn your soul from downcast to delight is believing the good news that he loves you. Let me close. I was introduced um, to a new word reading books this week. It's always a good place to pick up on new vocabulary. And it's a French word. i got to read it. Denouement, I believe I'm pronouncing it right. Somebody can correct me after service. Denouement, perhaps. The essence of that word, it's used in French literature. It's used in literature of the kind of the plot untying. So it's a word that, that means untying or to relax a knot. And, and I was introduced to this word. I just found it helpful Because here's here's the knot of your life. Here's the thing that's kind of got you bound up inside. Here's the the turmoil. And I really think it's this easy. You have trouble believing that God actually loves you. I am deeply and utterly convinced that that truth and reality must wash over us until we see him face to face. And the knot that's beginning, maybe it's even beginning to become untied in your own life right now. Like what a great time for you to feel that knot in your iceberg, in your in your core. Like you feel that. You're doubting this right now. And you're looking for um, the sensation or the the kind of the tangible way of sensing that God actually loves you. Uh, the way that the psalmist writes uh, he would invite you to believe, to hope in God for you'll praise him, the salvation of your face, is to think about uh, what's ahead of you. So I'll close with this, this imagery, which is the imagery of the Bible, uh, that there is a hope, again, not wishful thinking, it's absolute certainty. There is a hope for the believer that God will return. And the return imagery, the metaphor that the Bible uses, is that of a wedding. That there is a wedding being prepared and planned for God's people with Jesus. That the bride of Jesus, his people on earth, will be ushered into the very presence of the lover of their soul. And if you've ever been to a wedding, I know we always focus on the bride, rightfully so. Decked out, beautiful, linens, white, veil, all the things But as a minister, I get the privilege of occasionally glancing at the groom. And if you glance at the groom to your left and you see him watching his bride walk towards him, you get a glance of Jesus' face towards his people. And it's usually a face of undone, unfettered love for for the beauty of his bride coming to him. And And when... and when God's people are brought to Jesus at the end of days, at the end of this age, the veil will be lifted and the downcast soul will see the lover of their soul face to face and we will be made like him. We will be changed forever. And the and the survey of eternity, which is which is why God designed it this way, will not even be enough for us to be contained in exploring God's love for his people. The invitation for the downcast soul is to come to Jesus, even now, to look him in his face and know that the face is one of pure and lovely delight for those believing in him. Would you believe that good news today? Let's pray and ask God to help us do that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we are tied up in knots in so many ways right now. Lord, we are confused and doubting people, but you are a faithful and sovereign God. And we believe that you are working this grand story narrative uh, to put your glory on display And so, Lord, we pray that even today, even if it's just a glimpse, if there are any here who have downcast souls, whose hearts are bound up with worry and doubt and sadness and despair and the glooming clouds of depression will not lift, Lord, that you would just give them a break in the clouds, even just for a moment, to see your face smiling at them this morning. Give us the delight because you're the, you're the one who delights in our soul. Help us to believe that good news today and we pray these things in your name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives.